electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, what we have right now is a market in sell-off mode. As you can see here, things have gone all kinds of sideways with the Dow losing about 1,000 points overall. There is so much stuff left to unpack here with this market. It's crazy the amount of uncertainty there is right now. And overall, what you have to figure out is whether or not there is any kind of downside left over here for the markets to come. We are going to try to unpack all of this in every kind of feeling angle that you can focus on here. This is the Fed factor, the sell-off on the street. Stocks dropping sharply as the Fed chair tells the market rates are headed higher and they're going to stay there until inflation is under control, even if it does damage. And this is key, even if it does damage to the economy. The move is sending shockwaves through the markets here. The Dow and the S&P and Nasdaq all posting their worst day in over two months after Fed Chair Jerome Powell's Jackson Hole speech. The Dow dropping more than 1,000 points. The Nasdaq down nearly 4%, and all three indexes going negative for the month of August. Every sector in the S&P was lower today, and tonight we will drill down on those moves and the potential fallout coming up. A recession fears have Wall Street on edge, of course, and why one analyst says the worry is warranted. Plus, Jim Cramer breaks down what Powell's message means for your money. And will the Fed's rate hike crush the consumer? It's the bedrock of our economy. After a two-year shopping spree, we'll find out if they are checking out, so to speak. I'm Dominic Chu. Jim Cramer is off tonight. So let's start now with the sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow and the S&P 500 and NASDAQ each pulling back dramatically so. Following Fed Chair Jerome Powell's Jackson Hole speech, now it signaled another big interest rate hike maybe weeks away, and stocks are losing their gains for the entire month of August. Here for the hour, our resident Fed expert, Steve Leisman, senior economics correspondent, and he joins us now from the stunning Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Steve, I'll send it over to you. Yeah, Dom, where there was a pretty stunning speech from the Fed chairman. And- I think markets were expecting something more dovish from Fed Chair Jay Powell. That's the best way to explain the reaction. Instead, the chairman in that much-anticipated Jackson Hole speech took strides to say the Fed is going to be resolute in uh, its fight against inflation, even warning about the possibility that it could cause pain to some businesses and households. 
while higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. Stocks sold off hard after the speech. In a way, Powell was answering the question that markets have been wondering about, what the Fed would do if there was a recession, and his answer did not please markets. It appears to be that it would, he would keep raising rates. Powell made a specific point about warning markets against pricing in a reversal in policy too quickly. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. So for others listening to Fed speak this week from Jackson Hole and before the conference, Powell's comments wouldn't have been that particularly surprising or newsworthy. The Fed has been speaking almost unanimously that it's not going to relent in policy until there's convincing evidence that inflation is headed toward its 2% target. Instead, the market may have been engaging in what you might call wishful thinking. And uh, Powell said back to them, Dom, the beatings will continue until morale improves. I think I have a T-shirt that says that. I, I mean, but all kidding aside, Steve, this is this is this is one of those scenarios where it is about the greater unknown, right? The the whole idea here is that we know that Fed Chair Jerome Powell has set on a path to conquer inflation, and we've kind of known he's he's hinted at it in several speeches yeah. and, and 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 comments over the last several weeks that it may send the economy into recession. What was it about today, though, the nuance of that, that really, in your mind, made the drop down, Dow drop a thousand points? Well, you have to um, start. Well, first of all, I want to take a, a, a line from Bob Pisani's notes that he sends around internally. I guess he also makes it public as well. It was very thin trading, so it didn't take much to move the market, I think, and get it going. Um, Look, not only Powell, but other Fed officials have come on. I can't tell you the number of times that I came on with a headline that said the Fed is going higher for longer. Instead, the market took that, what it heard to be a pivot at the last press conference. It ran with it. You had a nice rally in the market. And the market just didn't want to hear what the Fed was saying. And what's different here is that you very rarely have a Fed say, as a result of our policy, there will be pain. The Fed is sort of designed that once there is that pain to reverse course. So this changes the outlook for the Fed. It says that, you know, I don't know what the pain threshold is. I think that's going to be a big part of the discussion. But there is some amount of a rise in the unemployment rate that will not change policy. And when you look at the way the market was priced, it was banking on those rate cuts the end, at the beginning, uh, even as soon as after the first or second quarter of next year. I think Powell's really trying to convince the market that is not the case or his best guess about where policy's going. All right, Steve, stay with us. You'll be with us for the entire hour. Let's now bring in Greg Ip, the chief economics commentator at The Wall Street Journal, to break down more of Powell's rhetoric and speech from today. Greg, you heard what Steve just kind of laid out in terms of the scene setter out there in Jackson Hole and what exactly was the primary driver for the downside moves here. Is this a scenario where the Fed's credibility maybe is no longer in question? Or do you think that there are still questions surrounding whether Powell has the resolve to conquer this inflation issue? Well, I think the fact that it was a compressed, concise speech and that every word of it was clear and unidirectional, we're going higher, even if there's a recession, the, you know, the power of that statement and the very concise nature might have just been enough to kind of like break the spell on the markets, this belief that, as Steve said, 
has been completely contradicted by every Fed, Fed, Fed speaker in the last few weeks that they were going to pivot. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's because they had to hear it from Powell's uh, lips that this was not going to happen. That said, Dom, there's something about this that puzzles me. It was obvious to most of us that the bond market got this a while ago. And in fact, if you look at the Fed funds futures, there's almost no movement in the probabilities in the next few months. They're still looking at about 60% for 75 next month. What I don't understand is why it took so long for the equity guys to wake up from their dream, right? I mean, never mind why did the Dow drop a thousand points today? Why was it up as many thousand points as it was in the last few weeks? Oh, and, and not just, Greg, if I might follow up on that, Greg, the, the reason why I want to do that is because we, we've been showing viewers and, and, and listeners on SiriusXM what we've been showing is the entire slate of, of, of Treasury note and yields and all the information that we've seen from price action. And, Greg, the, 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 the thing that struck me about today's action was the complete lack of action. Forget about yeah. the, the, the spreads yeah. or anything else. I mean, just look at the two-year note, the five-year note, the 10-year th note, and the 30-year long bond actually dropped, right? And, and maybe you can make the yeah. argument there that there's, there's a little bit more of a long-term economic slowdown fear, so longer-term bonds are being bought up for safety. But what was it about the bond market that, that I mean, that maybe the equity markets didn't see coming, right? If the, if the, if the yield on the 10-year long bond or, or, or Treasury note only moves up by three or four basis points on that kind of a speech, what does that say about the dislocation, Greg, in your mind between stocks and bonds? Um, you know, I'm, even as I sit here, I'm actually trying to come up with a coherent explanation for all this behavior. And first of all, my casual observation was that the bond, the, the 10 and the 30 may have had a bit of weakness early in the morning, but that towards the end of the day, they maybe rallied a bit. And there might have been a little bit of that flight to safety, you know, a little bit of that old uh, flight from risk there. And I suppose if you were to squint hard, you could tell a story about how there's a belief that the Fed's resoluteness, the willingness to cause a recession in pursuit of 2% inflation makes it more likely that equities will sell off and will have a recession, but also more likely that the Fed will be back to easing mode a couple of years from now. I mean, does that sound a little bit kind of like convoluted? I, I guess so. Maybe that's one story. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? I, I want to tell you about an email that I got from a, uh, a market participant who everybody knows, but it was, I don't know, I figure it was an off-the-record email. But the person said, the Fed doesn't know now that it's going to have to pivot later. Um, there's a certain hubris inside of that, which is to say that they know that, that this person or the, even the market knows better what the Fed is going to have to do than the Fed itself. But then I sort of talked about that with a Fed official today, and the person said, well, can you blame them? And they were that this Fed official was referencing the sort of pivots that the Fed has made of recently. If you remember, uh, it was we're not thinking about thinking about cutting rates and so or, or hiking rates. And, and then they then they uh, uh, announced uh, uh, these uh, series of rate hikes and then they bumped it up and then they had one idea about uh, uh, how, how fast to reduce the balance sheet and they bumped that up too. So uh, there has been some back and forth from the Fed. And I think, Dom, when you asked that question about credibility, and, and, and then Greg made the point about how short the speech was. I do think perhaps there's an effort here by Powell to, to claw back that credibility. Let's not forget what Powell was saying this time last year. He was talking about the idea that he expected inflation to moderate, that it was transitory. So 
I kind of get the idea, but but you could not have had, I could not have reported more clearly, I think, this idea of hire for longer. As Greg said, from every Fed official, we interviewed every Fed official that talked, they leaned against this notion of these rate cuts, of this quick pivot. Um, and so it was a little bewildering, but you can maybe understand why the Fed was not taken at its word by the market. All right, we're going to spend an entire hour. <laughs> we're going to spend an can, entire Can I just hour. make a quick yeah, okay. update? Greg, last word to you here. Sure. So I think going to that comment, Steve, that you said, the Fed doesn't know it has to pivot. There's a hall of mirrors factor here, which is the more the market rallies, the easier financial conditions get, the more the Fed has to tighten. So the stock market doesn't know, realize it, but the stock market selling off the way it did is part one is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the Fed to eventually pivot. All right. We're going to spend the rest of this hour trying to unwrap all of those themes that we just talked about. Greg, Ip, thank you very much, Steve. We'll see you just a bit as right. well. Now, markets are reacting, of course, negatively to Fed Chair Powell's hawkish stance during the Jackson Hole remark, as you just heard. But the Dow ending the day down over a thousand points. And technology was the hardest hit sector. The major averages now, by the way, down over four percent for the week. And now the question for investors is what happens to stocks if and when rates stabilize? So let's talk that with Simeon Hyman. He's the global investment strategist at ProShares Advisors. Simeon, I mean, you're here with us in studio. You've kind of watched the day play out. What was it about the price action today, especially in the last maybe hour, hour and a half or so of trading that really struck you? You just said something very important just a couple of minutes ago. Nothing happened in the bond market today. This was about a wake up call for the equity market. Because rates have already been moving for over a month now. The yield on the 10-year Treasury has already gone up more than 50 basis points. And so it was, in effect, the stock market catching up to that. But I think what's important about that rate move is I would call it kind of a regular one. And I want to distinguish that from a quantitative tightening sort of new school move in, in rates. And what I mean by that is it was really driven by a slightly overheated economy. I'm going to go old school. Capacity utilization went past 80. That's the old rule. Capacity utilization goes past 80. You have some inflation. And when you, what you see in the equity markets is the regular outperformance of things that typically outperform when rates rise energy, materials, even a little bit of financials in the last month. What was curious about what's happened today, as opposed to, say, other times in the past where recession fears have been playing out, is this notion that we have a market that's trying to figure out whether or not we're actually in a recession or not, right? There's been this huge debate about whether this is going to be, when everything is said and done, a National Bureau of Economic Research officially sanctioned recession. In your mind, does the equity market feel as though we are not in a recession right now? And if we do have a recession, true to what Powell said, that he would battle inflation, and if we go into recession, so be it, is that the reason why stocks fell as much as they did today? I don't think it's so much a, a fear of a deep recession as much as it is just a little bit of a catch-up to the fact that interest rates are normalizing and segments of the market that have been thriving off of zero rates are not going to be quite valued the same. You know, the risk of recession is a deep recession, I think, is still relatively low, a mild recession or whatever we're having right now. But you know, we know the job market's very strong. But also, if you think about the things that could cause a deep recession, you know, we don't have unions like we had in the 70s. So sticky wages, if we cross our fingers, might not be as big of a deal. 
And I'll throw one more thing out. We could have a little bit of a boost, at least domestically, from almost a little smidgen of like a post-World War II impetus because Europe's in such disarray from, 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 from the, sadly, the war itself, but also, of course, the sky-high price of, of, of natural gas and other natural resources. We could have a little bit of a, of a domestic opportunity here. You, you brought up valuations, and speaking of that opportunity, right, the interest rate story plays importantly into the valuation story, which plays importantly into the repricings, perhaps, that we're seeing taking place in real time right now. In your mind, is the market for stocks right now, from a macro index level basis, appropriately valued given the interest rate outlook and inflation outlook over the next one, three, and five years? I think the answer is yes, but as an old mentor of mine used to say, if it's right on average, that's like having one hand in boiling water and another hand of bucketed ice. And so what does that mean? But yes, if we're trading at 17 times 2022 with interest rates at this level, 20 times is fair. So the market's pricing in a little bit of a miss. We haven't had a miss yet. But when I when you think about that sort of dichotomy, there's two places of the market that are risk. Of course, we know that that stocks where the revenues are so far out in the future are a little bit more sensitive. But I think one place that some folks are getting it wrong is thinking that it's safe to be on the really cheap side. And the problem with the really cheap side is you say, well, that's low duration, except what you really mean is no growth. And if there's no growth, then you're a fixed coupon bond and you're really exposed to rising rates. The thing in the middle are quality stocks that can increase their margins. As an example, the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats expanded their margins in Q1 and Q2. So either one of those extremes, you know, the, I, the hand in the fire and the hand in the ice are perhaps at risk. But if you can keep up with inflation and keep your margins, that may be a place that's a, an attractive place in the equity market. Interesting thoughts for sure. Simeon Hyman, ProShares, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank sir. you. All right. Don't go anywhere because this CNBC special, The Fed Factor, is just getting started. Keep it right here. Tonight, will a looming recession eat away your savings? We discuss. Plus, one cohort doesn't mind rising rates. How to play the big banks. And don't start your weekend without hearing Jim Cramer's take. That and more, next on CNBC. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Welcome back to the show. Take a look at the yield on the two-year treasury note, which is most driven, you can argue, by Fed policy. It popped today following Powell's remarks. So could this be a signaling that a recession is possibly looming? Let's bring in now Wells Fargo chief economist Jay Bryson, also economist Dambi Samoya, who's in Jackson Hole with our own Steve Leisman. Steve, I'll send it to you. Yeah, thanks, Dom. Uh, Dambi, I want to just uh, talk about that two-year that uh, you heard Dom talk about. 340. So let's just remember what the two-year is to economists. It's the average of the funds rate over a two-year period. It seems like the message is getting across, at least in the bond market and maybe today in the, in the, in the equity market, that uh, just settle in for the long haul here. This is not something that's going away quickly. A 340 means the Fed funds average will be that over a two-year period. Yeah. So look, I think uh, one of the things, uh, very fortunately, being in the room, it was very, where it was happening this morning, it was patently clear they're not, we're not going home anytime soon. Um, it seems to me that there's a full recognition that we have an inflation problem, um, both on the demand and the supply side. And the fact of the matter is that I think uh, Chairman Paul was very clear that they are going to be very aggressive. Um, as I was saying to you during the break, um, I was went in thinking 50 to 75 basis points in September. I'm leaving the meeting thinking 75. But how did you feel when you heard what he was saying? Um, you know, it was pretty stark. Um, I, you know, th- I think it was, there's been a lot of ambiguity over the year, you know, transitory and temporary, you know, whether it's permanent or, or temporary, et cetera, right. lots of debate. But this was patently clear. There's no doubt about it, that they are on a path of raising rates. There is going to be, there are going to be some casualties. Um, I think it was very clear that there's some costs associated with this, but on balance, the lost growth from a possible recession vis-a-vis taming inflation, they're erring on the side of taming inflation. I haven't heard a Fed official say, because of our policy, there is going to be pain. It's it's a new thing. So what what do you think the equity market heard today that it hadn't heard before? And I say that as a reporter who has reported that over the past three weeks, the Fed has continuously said higher for longer. Why wasn't that message already incorporated by Um, the the market? You know what? I think it was the brevity of the the speech. And, you know, Chairman Powell was very clear that the speech was going to be relatively short. I think it was. And he was very clear that, um, that, you know, that this was not going to be sort of uh, a 50... uh, 75, 50, 25, 25, and then stop. I think it's very clear that nobody's going home until it's done. Um, and I think that was a message that perhaps the markets hadn't fully appreciated before. Dom, you want to bring Jay into the conversation? Absolutely. I'd love to kind of bring Jay in on this as well. So we've got the color, Jay. You heard Dambisa and Steve kind of lay out what they heard in the room, what was going on at Jackson Hole. Is anything that you're seeing in the bond market right now telling you something where we are going to see a recession in the next three, six, nine, 12 months? 
Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the the yield curve, uh, the two, you know, the, the difference between the two year rate that Steve re- referenced at three forty and, and and the ten year now at around three percent or so, that's been inverted now for a number of weeks. And normally, before a recession, that inverts, um, and it do, it usually doesn't invert to this extent. So I think the bond market is sending a very clear signal that a recession is certainly um, a, a very good possibility at this point. So, so if, if you wouldn't mind, Jay, if we take a look at the way things have shaped up right now, I mentioned we were speaking with Simeon Hyman just in, in, in the block before this one about whether or not there is a recession right now. It's been a hot topic, not just on Wall Street, but, of course, on K Street and on Main Street. Is it a recession right now? And could it get worse if it's already in one right now? So to your first point, I don't think we are in a recession right now. You know, two years from now or whatever, when the MBER gets around to dating the recession, I don't think they're going to say it started in the summer of of 2022. I think it's going to be later. One of the big indicators that I would look at here would be the labor market. You know, the labor market is very strong. Maybe the employment numbers are overstating it right now. But in some sense, I don't think you're going to get big revisions there. You know, I think when you look later on, though, in this year, as the Fed continues to raise rates, as financial markets continue to tighten, as inflation stays high and eats away disposable income, I think that's when you start to get the downturn later this year. I want to throw this question to both Dembisa and the Jay. I think the new question we have to answer is, how much pain is the Fed willing to abide? Are we talking about a two percentage point increase in the unemployment rate? Are we talking about, I mean, I, I don't personally think this was a recession. I think you've had too much job growth even too much personal consumption to have called it a recession. I think most of the indicators that the NBR would look at are not ones that would speak of recession yet. But how much pain would the Fed abide, do you think, before it would cause it to reverse course? Yeah, you know, I think it's hard to calibrate. The truth of the matter is that, you know, we if you look in um, a number of corporates, I happen to serve on corporate boards, and if you look at the consumer, the consumer is definitely getting weaker. Um, we know that we are at record levels of debt. We know the story regarding um, real wages. And again, from the, from the Fed perspective, although the mandate is a U.S. mandate, if you start looking beyond the U.S. and start thinking about the global picture, to me, it was very clear that there's a lot more um, sort of acceptance that there's going to be higher inflation and therefore much more aggressive uh, reaction. So I think that they are willing um, to uh, to go quite much more aggressive, I would say higher rates and, and longer. Jay, could you answer that question, but also the idea of whether or not when the Fed chair says we're, you know, expect some pain out there. Does that change your outlook for where the Fed might go? Well, not really, Steve. I mean, you know, so maybe we would ratchet up our our forecast a little bit in terms of the rate hikes that we have in there. But I don't think we're going from, you know, a 4% terminal rate to a, a 7% terminal rate unless inflation gets a lot stickier from, from here. But in terms of how much pain the Fed is, is willing to uh, to do um, to put on the economy here. I mean, in some sense, I think the you know the so-called Fed put is is gone at least for the time being. They're not going to bail out the the stock market at this point. And I think a good place to start to look at would be the 1990-1991 recession. You know, inflation was was ramping up by the end of the 1980s. The Fed was raising rates at that time. That recession was we would call it a relatively modest sort of recession. Peak to trough yeah. decline in real GDP of about one and a half percent. I think that's kind of what you would be looking at here. And I think that's what the Fed would be willing to tolerate. All right, Dambisa, we're going to give you the last word here. So, Jay, I, I, Jay you, that's hold, your... on, hold on one second. Just, uh, OK, so 
We have to get going here, but Dembisa, I want to say I want to stick on something that you mentioned before. You serve on a number of corporate boards right now. What is the conversation like in the boardroom in corporate America about whether or not this is a dire situation or not for the U.S. economy? So for the U.S. economy, clearly, I wouldn't say it's dire. Um, I think most of the corporations in which I'm involved and generally not just the ones I serve on boards are global corporations. And the global picture is definitely worrying. Low growth, high inflation, geopolitical considerations, deglobalization. It is a not a good picture. And in that respect, I think we have to take on board, um, you know, real uh, reassessments of allocating capital and how we should be thinking about the future. Sounds pretty conservative to me. Danby Samoyo, thank you very much. Jay Bryson, thank you as well. Steve, we'll see you in just a few moments here. We'll be, we'll be for the rest of the hour here. Still ahead on the CNBC special, The Fed Factor, is it time to change your investing playbook after the market sell-off that we witnessed today? In this environment, everything could be different, including when it comes to buying bank stocks or others. We'll break down how the approach to the sector could change given the rate outlook. And as we head out to break here, take a look at the 10-year Treasury note yield that we just mentioned during the last segment. Climbing above 3% for the first time in about a month earlier this week. Those yields, interest rates, a key part of the story. We'll be right back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back to the CNBC special, The Fed Factor. Financials, of course, in focus as Fed Chair Jerome Powell says that higher interest rates will persist for some time. Now, on the surface, this should be good for news for the bank stocks overall. But our next guest says the Fed's policy could be a little bit more of a double-edged sword. So joining us now is Gerard Cassidy, the Managing Director and Head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, we often turn to you. For, for outlooks and insights on the banking sector, interest rates are a big part of that discussion. So did anything about Fed Chair Jay Powell's speech today change the outlook for banks for you? No, it didn't, Dom. In fact, uh, when you take a look at what he said, you know, we were expecting, of course, the Fed to continue to move on rates, probably bringing the Fed funds rate to somewhere between 3 and 4% by the spring of 2023. And I think that's what we heard today. Now, what was interesting to us, though, was his comments about keeping the rates elevated around the, you know, wherever they end up, let's say 4% for a period of time. And that's actually quite positive for the banks because for the last 15 years, with the exception of 2017 and 18, we've had a very low rate environment and it's been very tough for the banks. Now, with the higher rates, that should help their net interest revenue growth. 
Why is it in your mind, Gerard, that these bank stocks have been as relatively unloved as they have been yeah. over the last, I would say, several years at this point? Yeah. Well said, Dom. Um, I would say the recent, you know, last year they had a great year. You know, they clearly outperformed the market up 30 percent in 2021. Uh, this year, unfortunately, underperforming the market down year to date, let's call it 17, 18 percent. And I would say the reason you're seeing the weakness this year is investors, and you said it well in your opening about the double-edged sword, investors see the other side of the sword, which is higher uh, rates could lead to a recession, which would then lead to higher credit costs. And that is what has is investors most concerned today. So if the Fed does lead, uh, you know, take rates to a level that drives us into a recession in 23, credit costs will go up for the banks. We just don't think they will be as material as what we saw in 08, 09, and the banks will be able to handle these higher credit costs, particularly with the higher rates driving better revenue growth. What part of that bank spectrum, because they, they come in all shapes and sizes and forms and varieties, in this kind of an, I, I guess with this outlook for interest rates, where is it that bank stock investors want to go? Would it be the money centers like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, City? Would it be the regional banks? Is it the investment banks? It doesn't seem like it's a good time to be investment banks with deal flow drying up the way that it has. Right. I, I agree with you on the latter point. I totally agree. Uh, I think we're going to need to see some right sizing of expenses. And at that point, that could be the 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 sign to jump into the investment banks. And that may come as soon as the fourth quarter of this year. But I think you, you brought up a good point. Where do you want to go? And for the first time in 15 years, um, we're going to see the right side of the balance sheet finally shine for banks. And what I mean by that is deposits. You know, deposit rates and funding rates for 15 years, with again, with the exception of 17 and 18, have been very low. Banks have had any, you know, many places to go to get low-cost funding. That is no longer the case. So the banks with the good, strong core deposits, what I like to call grandma and grandpa deposits, those are the deposits that will shine because if Fed funds rates, let's say they top out at 4% next year, and you lay on top of that 3% for a primary loan, that's a 7% yield. And if you've got a large mix of funding coming from core deposits with costs, let's let's say 1%, you go, you're going to have very wide spreads versus the banks like a Bank of New York, which is a custody bank. Sure. They have to pass on all those deposit uh, costs or rates to their depositors because their depositors are not mom and pop. They're financial institutions. All right. An interesting outlook for banks for sure. Gerard Cassie at RBC Capital Markets. Thank you. Have a good weekend, sir. You too, Dom. Thank you. All right. This CNBC special, The Fed Factor, continues. Keep it right here. We're back after this break. Coming up, you better work. We work on figuring out the labor market. Plus, Mark Benioff takes a macro view. What does it mean for you? And... Kramer checks in with some weekend wisdom you won't want to miss when we return on CNBC. Labor market is particularly strong, but it is clearly out of balance, with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. All right, that was Fed Chair Jay Powell earlier today giving his view on the labor market. That area of the economy has kept the Fed on its toes, on edge, you could argue, for recent months. And it's one of the key gauges that the Fed is watching as it lays out its interest rate path. 
So here to talk about the unemployment picture and the impact of recent jobs data on the Fed's outlook is Neela Richardson, chief economist over at ADP, who is over in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with our own Steve Leisman. Steve, I'll send it over to you. Thanks, Tom. Neela, thanks for joining us. And uh, as, as the chief economist at ADP, you have your pulse on the labor market. Um, what did you hear today from Jay Powell uh, that sort of changes, alters, or otherwise confirms your forecast about where the labor market is headed? I think the reality of the later labor market is slower job gains in subsequent months. One of those reasons is uh, just an, an effect of being at parity with those 2019 levels. We're not going to see blockbuster job gains month after month now that we are at the levels we were basically in 2019. Pardon my interrupting you, but yeah. I've been a little skeptical because that's what they said was going to happen last month, that we did another half a million. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the future is what Powell was suggesting, right. and the future is slower gains. And you see that if you look at other segments of the economy, including GDP growth, that is aligned. Slower labor market job gains and slower economic growth are, in, are working in tandem. And so I think that's what you, my expectation is, and that was what Powell said in his speech, that the overall market dynamics are slowing. Are there any indications you're seeing right now that there is some slowing going on? Well, we'll find out that on Wednesday when ADP releases its new national employment report. And I think that will be a great private sector view, a new independent indicator of where the labor market is heading. I want to talk about that in just a second. Let me come back to this idea. Um, so far, the labor market's been strong. We did, as you just said, recover most all the jobs that we lost in the, in the uh, uh, pandemic or from the decline from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then plus some because the government just added back a half a million jobs that it uh, appears to have not counted the first time around. Um, isn't there an argument that given that the economy is bigger, we could actually ha should have stronger employment? Well, what we're not counting is all those jobs that would have been created had there not been a pandemic. Right. And there's been a lot of estimates on that. Some economists say as many as five million jobs would have been in the economy that are not that. there. So, you know, it's hard to show the counterfactual, but we are treading water in line with 2019. That means there are some missing job gains, no matter how you slice it. Real quick, Neela, there is a, uh, this thing you're coming out with on Wednesday. It's a new and revamped ADP report. I think it's going to be very important. Give us the 40-second elevator pitch or less sure. of what it, what's in it. I'm happy to. It's an independent private sector look at job gains based on ADP client sample. And it's not just about jobs because workers and firms care about pay. So in addition to job changes, we're going to look at pay increases and pay growth, which feeds right back in inflation right. and why, why we're here at Jackson You're not going to try to model anymore the BLS. No more this is going to be raw data from, from ADP. ADP scale right. in breadth with over 25 million workers have has the power to have an independent outlook. Don, mark your calendar on that. That'll be Wednesday morning. Uh, we'll be uh, reporting that new ADP report. I think it's an important one to watch for the markets. Absolutely. I mean, I think everybody's claiming for data points all over the place. Neela, thank you very much. Steve, we'll see you later on in the yeah. show. All right. The overall retail sector, though, is also getting hit hard by these interest rate increases. And U.S. consumer spending barely rose in the month of July as inflation hit historically high levels. So how is the consumer actually faring? For that, we turn to Jason English, Managing Director of Goldman Sachs, Global Investment Banking, and Lead Equity Analyst covering things like packaged food, also household and personal care products as well. Jason, we turn to you because this is important. This is, you could argue, the bedrock of the U.S. economy, and that is the consumer and their spending. 
Take us through whether or not the consumer is in a good place, given the inflationary environment that we've seen and the interest rate pike path laid out by Fed Chair Jerome Powell earlier today. Sure. Hey, thanks, Don. Thanks for having me. Um, I think there's little doubt that the consumer is relatively soft right now. We've got a number of factors at play. First, we come into this year cycling a lot of stimulus checks that just aren't there anymore. So discretionary personal income uh, is, is effectively flat year on year. You then, though, go down and look at their, their share of spending. Essential expenditures of the magnitude of inflation that exists today is leaving the consumer with very little discretionary cash money left to spend on other goods and services. Um, it's particularly true for the lowest income consumer, where we're seeing roughly a 24% drop in that spending power. That's requiring them to dip into savings. Now, the good news is they came into this year with a lot of savings. Um, they had accrued roughly $2 trillion of excess savings, and their balance sheet was very clean. As we progress through the year, they've been drawing down those savings. They've been leveraging back up. You heard it from some of your prior guests talking about the rapid surge in household debt. That's allowing them to bridge us to better days. And the important thing, Don, is we do think better days lie ahead. So, if so better, Jason, if better days do lie ahead, though, then is this consumer discretionary sell off overblown? And should we get back into there or are we going more towards your coverage universe like those consumer staples companies? We're all going to eat cereal and wash our dishes and wash our sheets. Yeah, great, great question, Tom. Coming into this year, no doubt staples were a great place to be. Uh, mutual funds were the most underweight the group they had been in a decade. Uh, they were effectively stocked into the group. It's been a great place to be. Uh, the discretionary sector has sold off. We do think the consumer is going to weather the storm and come out in a better place next year. We think there's some really good opportunities on the discretionary side. So I'd rather be leaning into that side than leaning back into the defensive staple side. So if that's the case, a favorite pick of yours in that environment? So you've heard a couple of people talk about the beauty space is a great place to be. It wasn't it wasn't lifted during COVID. There's still recovery. Consumers want to be out. They want to look good. Um, my uh, my retail counterpart, Kate McShane, she likes Alta. I like it, too. There's a lot of manufacturers coming out. They're supporting that retailer. They're putting good brands there. It's bringing energy. They're capturing share. And then within my coverage universe, I like a relatively new company, Olaplex, uh, premium prestige beauty, really catering to, uh, to, to restoration of hair. So two names, both in the beauty vertical. Jason English, Goldman Sachs, with the call on health and beauty. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. Have a good weekend. Thank you. All right. We've got a lot more coming your way on this CNBC special. The Fed factor up next. A look at the fintech stocks, which had a very rough session today. The message the tech sector is sending to investors that's coming up. And as we head out to break, even though it's a down day for the markets, a reminder, we're still up right now for the quarter. As you can see there, the small caps, the transport stocks, the Nasdaq 100 and the S&P are all still higher in the third quarter. So it's not all bad just yet. We'll be right back. Measured economic environment. Everyone is trying to assess what's going on. How do they position themselves for this new economy? It's a new day for many companies. All right. That was Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff on Mad Money earlier this week. Now, that stock, Salesforce, CRM's the ticker, is down 10% for the week. Hawkish comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell sending all 11 sectors, by the way, in the S&P lower today, with tech getting hit the hardest. So what do today's moves mean for the stocks in the sector and in general going forward? Joining us now is CNBC's tech correspondent, Steve Kovac. I, I, Steve, it's no surprise that when markets sell off the way that they do, as dramatically as they do, that the tip of the spear is almost always going to be tech consumer discretionary, 
and communication services exactly. because they're, the, they're, they're where the mega caps are. Yep. So what in your mind stood out about the price action today and is tech just in the early part of a bigger downturn. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Don. So tech was on this re- big rally throughout the summer, and it's kind of come to a screeching halt, right? So let's just set the stage here. Just a few days ago, Dom, we were talking about Apple flirting with going positive for the year. And after today's 3% drop, now they were off 8% for the year. Uh, that's largely on a report on uh, DOJ potentially filing an antitrust suit against the company this year, driving those shares lower today. Let's go on to Microsoft, also extending losses this week, almost erasing all its gains from the last three months. Amazon faring a little bit better, hanging on to its summer gains, but still off 21% for the year. Alphabet has been falling about 5% today amid that broader tech sell-off. Lots of things going on there with YouTube people watching and the the ad market concerns there. And with Meta, the worst performer of the tech mega caps, never showing any signs of recovery this summer like its peers. Down 4% today and off a whopping 51% year-to-date, my friend. So so, uh, mathematically, as go these stocks, so go the market, especially right? Apple. Especially because because these stocks make up like twenty plus percent of the S and P. They make up forty some percent of the Nasdaq one hundred. So if these stocks go down, it makes sense that these overall indices take it hard. Exactly, but, they're, but, but, they're but, overweighted. But they are overweighted. Yeah. So is this now an indication that th- this is no longer viewed as the safety trade? Because there was a time yeah. over the last 10, 12 years post Great Financial Crisis. Mm-hmm when Apple was considered almost a safe haven stock. Right. Well, I'll just, I won't go back 10 or 12 years. Let's just go back to January, right? And when the, or the spring, rather, when the sell-off really started, or in the market, Apple, people were looking to Apple. When Apple started to go up, it was a leading indicator for the summer, right? As it, it hit its bottom and started going up, the rest of tech followed, minus Meta, of course, they have their own problems to work for. So, seems like the market's following Apple, and it seems like we're not done going down from the summer rally. We'll see what happens with the iPhone event on September 7th, that that can woo investors. And while people typically people sell on those days after a buying up to the rumor, but, but we'll see what goes there. So Apple is usually the one to watch. At least it has been this year. The tech and market bellwether. Steve Kovac, exactly. thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. All right. Well, Jim Cramer may not be hosting tonight's hour, but he never takes a day off from the markets. We know this. So here's Jim Cramer and his take on Powell's speech today. I think people have to recognize there was nothing subtle about it. The last time the Fed chief spoke, he said this would probably be the end of the large 75 75 basis moves and we'll probably get lower ones. He took that off the table. He basically just said, look, there's been no real let up in inflation. I think he expected that there would be. Uh, and because there isn't, you know what, everything's back on the table. So suddenly that 75 basis point, which I've said over and over again, that what he had to do was what he did today, which basically said, look, we're not done till we're done. I mean, like he should have done Fat Lady Sing a long time ago. That's what he's back doing. And that creates a, a very important thing, which is the American people are thinking about raising the prices, they don't have to worry about it. Why? Because nobody else is going to raise. He's changing the psychology without having to go and put a 75. He's doing what a 75 would do. So what does that mean for us? Well, obviously, in the club, we have been selling and selling and selling. Now, we've initiated two names, uh, of which if you join the club, you'll know we're going to buy them on the way down. But our most part, we've been peeling off and raised cash to above 10%. That's unusual, except for when you think that the calendar says September is a time to be doing some selling uh, until the end of September. And you never know why that is. Historically, it's been the case. 
oh, well, you know what? Here's a story. You know, we don't need to be have history. We just heard the chairman put the big kibosh on the rally that we that we just had. So let's respect that. Let's recognize that he wants prices down everywhere. Unfortunately, including, I believe, the stock market. All right, welcome back to the show. Steve, let's bring you back into the conversation. Let's put all of this into context. What was your key takeaway from this part of the Jackson Hole Symposium? Look, my, my best guess is I don't think Jay Powell is happy that the market fell 1,000 points today. Um, I don't think that's his intent. But I think if, if the upshot of this is that the markets now understand that the Fed is more serious than it previously thought about bringing down inflation, if the market now is disabused of its belief that the Fed is going to raise rates only to turn around and cut them right away, then I think Jay, Jay Powell would be pleased with the outcome of his speech today. Um, I think, obviously, we heard on this show, a bunch of folks think a 75 base point hike in September is more likely. Uh, Jim Bullard likes the idea of getting there faster. Maybe it, can, it doesn't have to stay there as long as it does it faster. Some key dates we're looking for in the future. We have jobs coming up. We have a couple more inflation, for, or inflation report before the next Fed meeting. Those will cement the idea of a 75. But I think the way to think about it, Dom, is after today's speech, 75 is the default position of the Fed. Uh, and, and it would take quite, quite much better numbers, Dom, in order to get the Fed down to 50, which I think would be the bottom line on this. All right. Of course, the data-dependent Fed, as always. Steve Leisman, thank you very much. We'll see you from, with more coverage from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, let's check out again and recap what happened with the markets today, because it was a very dramatic day overall with a sell-off in play. The Dow Industrial is finishing down 3% or 1,000 points. The S&P down 141 points, over 3%. The Nasdaq Composite down 4% as well. That does it for us here. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.